right. Well, good morning, guys. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Yeah, doing well. Doing fine. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, it's good to see you and uh, looking forward to get into this. Uh, before we do, uh, let's just go right down the line. And uh, what are what are some things you, you guys have going on? Just some, some of the things that are on your, your mind and heart uh, lately. It could be anything. <laughs> well, we've had a big week in our house. Um, both of my boys have professed faith in Christ over the weekend. So that was huge. Amen. And um, it's been awesome because it's been a long time coming. Um, one of my children was more skeptical than the others. And just to see his heart go from, I don't know if there's a God or not, and I don't really care, to I'm saved is yeah. was a big deal. And um, yeah, so that's been, that's been a real blessing in our lives. And, uh, yep, it's been, it's been a really good week. That is great. That is great. And then while we're on that topic, I, I would highly recommend, uh, if other parents are, are, um, experiencing that joy, uh, because, uh, they're seeing that with their children, a wonderful little book, uh, it, it's small, I think probably about 60 pages. It's, it's called your child's profession of faith. And it's by a guy named Dennison Gunderson. If I can remember the spelling, I think it's G-U-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. Dennis Gunderson. Just an excellent little book because, you know, we we sometimes wonder, okay, my child has come to me and they have, uh, like you said, Will, professed faith in Christ. They've talked about sin. They've talked about, you know, uh, God and, and what they should do to be saved. And as faithful parents, we want to guide them toward that. And, um, uh, so, so how do we do that? But then afterwards, uh, what should we be doing to in- encourage that, to encourage, uh, the, their lives as they have, uh, have, have come to know Christ and how we can see them grow in, in a child's way. A lot of times with adults, it's very, uh, well, I don't want, I won't say very easy, but we can see those telltale signs. There, there are very clear cut decisions that, that need to be made where you can see where if someone is, choosing to follow what Christ would have them do or not. But in children, uh, sometimes it's more difficult. And so this book, I know, was very encouraging to me, you know, when Christina and Jenna, when they were young. And so I would just commend it to you, uh, your child's profession of faith, Dennis Gunderson. And also a while back, I put out some links for uh, a podcast Jim Elif did, uh, and he's done a, a lot of wonderful things on childhood conversion. So all good things there. All right. Well, Marvin or Mike, what about you guys? Um, well, on an immediate level, I uh, logged on to work, and I'm I'm going to have a tough day. So, uh, oh, but no. beyond, but but beyond that, uh, the Lord's really blessing doing some training, uh, uh, reaching out, doing some 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 visiting and things, and uh, uh, it's a slow process, but it's good. The Lord's good. Mm-hmm. Mike? Well, the past week we had my brother up here, so I gave us another opportunity to talk with him. <clears throat> and uh, he gave the same answer that uh, he uh, normally gives. Uh, he's just not there yet. That's his uh, answer when we start talking the things of faith. And and now this week uh, we're getting ready for a houseload of uh, grandchildren and, uh, and uh, grand dogs to invade our home for a week. <laughs> so 
And uh, we'll both both our girls and their families will be at the Thanksgiving fellowship dinner luncheon, but uh, only, only one of them will be attending church with us. Uh, so we try to get both families, but only one family will be at church with us. Okay. Maryland Good. still won't come in, huh? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, I would ask uh, uh, guys if y'all would uh, pray for uh, the situation I'm dealing with, uh, someone I'm witnessing to. Uh, I don't. I, I won't kind of put his name out here on, on this because uh, there might be offense taken just sort of broadcasting it out. Uh, but, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know just when it's us, but, uh, we, we spend, uh, some time together every other week. And, uh, it, it's come to the point where basically he said, he acknowledges the gospel. He knows what I'm trying to do is I try to share the gospel with him. And he's basically said, you know, man, I, I just don't want to hear it. That's just not part of my life. And, uh, I, I have no desire even taking one step down that road. And so, uh, he said, just respectfully, you know, let's continue our relationship, but let's leave this part out of it. So that was, that was a huge blow to me. And, um, so I'm, I'm just praying, you know, I can continue to do that, praying that the Lord would open up opportunities and praying that, uh, that you know they'll just be open doors you know to uh to to have other discussions so so if y'all you guys could keep that in prayer i would appreciate it absolutely all right all right well why don't we go ahead and uh we want to talk today about um sin and we want to talk about free will and uh as we think about these things um we there there's just the certain seriousness that and, and and solemnity that comes to it when we discuss sin i mean we think about sin we think about what it does to us personally we think about what it has done to us before god our standing before god and we think about what it would do to us eternally unless there's a solution for it and uh, and when we get to, to the question of, well, what is sin? Uh, one of my, as a matter of fact, I looked it up. One of my, uh, we, we had a small little book we had to read for, for Christian doctrine. They didn't call it theology class in the undergraduate level at Southeastern, but it was called Christian doctrine. And a small little book had this little definition of sin. And I really liked it. I pulled it down from the shelf, uh, yesterday and, 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 re-looked at it and it said this it said sin is the quality of any human action that causes it to fail to glorify the lord fully and i just thought man that's just a great kind of one sentence definition so uh since we think about sin we think about the first sin that was present in the uh disobedience of adam and eve in the garden of eden uh that led to the corruption of of all people from that time on obviously except for christ and uh, and because of that corruption, that corruption of sin, that leads all people towards death, uh, both bodily death and spiritual death. It's uh, and that is a penalty for failure to keep God's law, to failure to uphold His righteousness, and like that definition said, failing to glorify the Lord fully. 
And uh, we look at our world today. There's so many different manifestations of sin everywhere that we can look. And we're just seeing more and more of a spiral down into deeper sins. It seems like darker sins. But the thing about it is you, you can trace them all back. And they're all rooted in that initial disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so from that time on, all those who are born afterwards, like I said, other than Christ, they've been born into sin. They cannot escape that guilt and the punishment that comes with sin apart from the freedom that is found in Christ. And so as we talk about sin, we want to talk about these the, the, these issues today, this, uh, this thing that affects every single human being that has ever been born into this world. And so today we want to talk about uh, how universal sin is. Uh, we want to talk about things like imputed guilt. We often think about imputed righteousness, and we love that. But but what does it mean when guilt is imputed, when guilt is, is given over uh, to an individual, and then how we lack righteousness because of that? We want to get into things like uh, total depravity. That's a common thing we hear among reform circles, Calvinistic circles. What does it mean to be totally depraved? What does it mean to have total inability? And then we're going to just take the curve. And we, we've got uh, the last sort of thing we want to talk about is the will. And uh, and what is free will? What is, as the, the chapter title is titled, uh, what is the free choice of the will? In other words, if we're, if we're in this sin, if we're in this bondage to sin, how can we have a will that is free to love the Lord, that is free to serve the Lord, that is free to, to follow after the Lord? So, so we've got a lot of things on our plates this morning, brothers, and we've got a lot of things we want to, to discuss and talk about. But let's just kick it off this morning uh, with you, Will, uh, and just talking about sin, uh, the universality of it, the, the imputation of it, all these things. So, so brother, would you kick us off this morning? Absolutely. So what we're talking about here with the universality of sin is that it's, it's not a popular concept. And I, I really like how Beaky just goes there right at the beginning. And he says on chapter 20, on the first page of chapter 20, he says, original sin is not a popular concept. It is much more common to find sentiments like those of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who said, The fundamental principle of morality, about which I have reasoned in all my writings, is that man is a naturally good being, loving justice in order that there is no original perversity in the human heart, and that the first movement of nature are always right. And so I think that's a that's what the default that everybody thinks of, even some Christians. When he talks about imputation of sin, to impute means to count, credit, or blame. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans was talking about how through Adam, his sin at the garden counted, credited, and is the blame for all of the sin that entered the world through him. So that's the imputation of sin. And then transmission of sin is an inherent deprivation and corruption of human nature. So prior to that sin that Adam did in the garden, everything was good. Everything was perfect. Adam was created good. He was created perfect. You see that throughout the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. Every time God created something and he saw that it was good. And then Adam sinned. And then what do we see after that? We see the corruption. We see defilement. We see death. 
so that transmission that's the transmission of sin that's the corruption of something that was originally good has now been polluted and is now subject to decay so <clears throat> the imputation of sin it's really interesting he talks about i kind of already went over it but adam was kind of like a test case for all, all mankind. Adam's name actually means humanity. So Adam was the test case that God had created to see what he would do in the garden. And he was given all of the tools, all of the things he needed to make the right decision to follow God's commands and to keep work the ground and to keep it and to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when he failed in that, all humanity fell with him. All humanity failed with him. And since Adam, all no one does good. And so then we see in Romans 5, 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Greek phrase there, epho, linking death passed upon all men and all of sin has been the subject of various interpretations. So then, so then Beakey goes on to talk about three major lines of interpretation, the local consecutive and causal line of interpretation. Uh, the local meaning refers back to Adam. So it was specifically talking about Adam. Uh, the local interpretation is grammatically and theologically possible, but there's a couple of objections to that. One man is quite far away in the sentence from the phrase in order to be its antecedent. And Paul favors another preposition, in, to describe being in Christ or in Adam. So Beakey's argument is the local meaning of um, that in whom all sinned isn't really plausible. The second uh, meaning, the consecutive reading, sees the actual sin as the consequence of spiritual death coming upon all men. Uh, but he doesn't seem to favor that one either. Uh, but his the one he does favor is the causal sense. The reason for the coming of death to all people is because of what Adam did. And that's what he's claiming Apostle Paul meant in Romans 5.12, when he said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed from one man upon all men for all have sinned. Um, so you see this concept of imputation of sin, but there's a lot of objections to it because there are other passages in scripture that talk about how God doesn't visit the iniquity of the fathers on the sons. You know, each man is responsible for his own sin, but at the same time, we are all made sinners because of one man's work through Adam. And so that was a, a, a big struggle through uh, this chapter. So I was curious what your guys' thoughts were when you read that, this, this struggle. There are some passages that talk about how, you know, your sin is your sin. You're not, you're not going to be punished for your father's sins. But at the same time, there's an imputation of sin. So how do we reconcile those two things? Well, I mean, I might, I might see it more uh, if we're using the model that he has there more in the consecutive sense. 
uh, I always think about the sins there uh, being not actual sins or the guilt of those sins, but actually the consequences of those sins. Uh, and in that, um, it, it could be uh, it could be through uh, familial influence. Uh, in other words, uh, not being the source of sin, but actually exacerbating sin. The other, the other aspect of that is um, uh, is the idea of the covenant. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's probably the nearer uh, uh, location of that is just thinking about the bounds of the covenant. Uh, God uh, saying out loud what He's said time and time again. Uh, are the grounds of the covenant intact? Uh, should this covenant be continued? Um, and then again, he looks at the, again, I think in a consecutive sense, the consequences of that sin. Yeah, hmm. I, I would, I would, I would agree with Marvin. I think he's hitting it right on the head that there, uh, that, that, that it's an issue of consequences. In other words, you know, as, as God appointed Adam to be the, the federal head, uh, within that covenant of works he made in the garden, uh, and Adam fell, that actual sin itself is, as you so wonderfully put out, Will, and and by the way, uh, I had some technical problems on my side. For those who are listening to the recording, I'm not sure how it will affect the recording, but I think we may have lost the first part of Will's discussion there. But uh, but But in that, he talked about the imputation of Adam's sin, that Adam's actual sin, that sin of the garden is actually imputed to us so that as we stand before God, we are answerable for that actual sin. But yet um, with scripture talking about, uh, you know, the, the sins of the father, you know, and, and coming down to the third and the fourth and the fifth generations, um, it's not that we will actually answer for a sin that they committed, but it's the fallout of that sin that may come down all those generational lines in, in whatever it is. I mean, there, there may not even be any uh, natural impact to us, but it may just be uh, maybe a societal impact, maybe a cultural impact, or just, just being known that, you know, well, my grandfather did this and that affects me in a certain way, or it may, you know, come down to, to other things. You know, I think about, uh, well, look, I'll just give you this example. And I don't want to be long, but I think about Christian, you know, my son, he, uh, we don't know for sure, but uh, there's a good possibility that uh, he may have been a crack baby. Uh, his mother, uh, it wasn't proven that she was using drugs, but, uh, when she was pregnant with Christian, she was, uh, it was sort of, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, where you, uh, you basically find out that someone was here and then another person was here sort of, uh, in court, it was found out she was staying in a crack house. So there's a, a good assumption that there were drugs involved there throughout her pregnancy, alcohol and things like that. And so because of her sin, now Christian is not held accountable for her sin whenever she actually committed those sins. But the fallout of it is he's got numerous neurological issues and things he has to deal with. So I would say that that's probably an, an example of that. Hmm. That's a good one. It's a good example. Um, yeah. And Beaky, Beaky goes there. He says that he addresses the objection and then he says, we acknowledge that God does not impute sin to a person merely because one of his ancestors sinned. Adam stood in a special relationship to mankind. 
Though the Genesis account seems to indicate that Eve was the first human being to see sin, it was Adam's transgression that brought sin, condemnation, and death to the whole race. So then I really enjoyed, he listed six um, responses to the objection of imputation of sin. And I just, there's two specifically that I just wanted to highlight. The first one is, the first one I wanted to highlight is point number two. It says, Adam was the natural root of human nature. For all humanity, even Eve, sprang from him. This helps us to see the reasonableness of God entering into a covenant with Adam as the representative of his family. And then point number five, if God made each human being his own Adam, so to speak, standing or falling on his own independently of any representative outside of himself, then there would be no possibility of salvation for those who sin. This is the position of Satan and the demons. Do we want to share in it? And that, that was a good point. Like, if we if there wasn't a federal headship through Adam, how could there be a federal headship through Christ? Mm, right. Yeah. So if you accept the concept that Christ, as a federal head for humanity, suffered and died in our place, then by, by default, you have to accept that Adam right. was a federal head of humanity when he failed and sinned in the garden. Well, imputation, I think, is a legal term anyway. Uh, in yeah. terms, of, and, and that that concludes that concludes the federal headship. In other words, uh, it is the very it is the very root of the matter. Uh, all the consequences and all the the effects flow from that, and that's why uh, Paul draws that very stark relationship between. Uh, uh, the federal headship of Adam and in the federal headship of Christ in terms of uh, two in terms of two two separate streams. The the problem we have, and we'll get into it in my chapter, is the fact that uh, even though we are in Christ, uh, the effects or the pull of the original sin of Adam is it's still it's still there. It's still a problem. It doesn't have mastery over us, but it's still a problem. Yeah. And if you think about it from a on a much smaller scale, we in America have a similar federal headship. Mm-hmm. We are in a representative republic. Right. So exactly. we nominate one person to represent an entire group of people. And that's exactly what Adam did. Adam was a representative of all mankind, just as Jesus is a representative of all that the the father had right. chosen to save. Right. And so that was a very clarifying chapter for me. It helped me understand this idea of both imputation of sin and imputation of righteousness through Christ. Right. And um, I just want to finish with this um this last part. I always love how he ends each chapter and bringing it from the academic into the practical. He said, therefore, let us take account of our spiritual portfolio by nature. God made us wealthy in holiness, but Adam made beggars of us all. When David sorrowed over his sin, he traced his adultery and murder back to his infant corruption. Rather than excusing his sin, this accentuated his humiliation. Just as original sin is the root of our actual sins, so original sin should be the deepest ground of our contrition. We should begin grieving over sin with the absence of original righteousness. Clarkson said, man's soul is left like a ruined castle. The bare ragged walls, the remaining faculties may help you to guess what's, what it has been. 
but all the ornaments and precious furniture is gone. Hmm. And so yeah. apart from Christ, that's, that was our state. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Thank anyway. you so much, Will. Uh, it's, and, and it's, it's not a good story. I mean, we, 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 we hear this and, and uh, if not for Christ, what a horrible condition we would be in. What a, what an unsavable, as it were, condition full of uh, worthiness of being condemned for for what we do and who we are. And even, you know, in God's sovereignty, even that initial imputation of Adam's sin to us, that alone would stand uh, stand us in front of God to deserve his judgment, to deserve his condemnation. And so, so let let's sort of continue moving the conversation forward. And and Marvin, let's let's talk about really, you know, even bringing this more down, not just so much positionally with where we are in Adam's sin and the invitation that's given to us, but how, how does it affect us? All that that Will said, when it comes down to us, and we think about our depravity, we think about our our inability. And I just want to kick your section off by reading the first paragraph. That uh, that Beaky has in that pay in that uh, chapter because I think it's so uh, such a wonderful introductory paragraph. He says the corru- corruption of sin is an iron fist, and we cannot deliver ourselves from its vice-like grip. In the Bible, sin is not merely a bad choice, but an evil power that rules and destroys. And even when its reign is broken, it still wages war. Perhaps worst of all, sin numbs the soul and blinds the eyes of the heart so that sinners often perish while being quite pleased with themselves. Some of the worst sinners in history have been the most religious. Brother, talk to us about this this whole thing, total depravity, inability. What is it? Well, I I think these are probably two of the most uh, misunderstood uh concepts in terms of a biblical understanding of sin uh total depravity i think that uh, even those that don't uh, hold, hold to reform theology they will they will advocate a, a form of it uh, but they really do, i think don't understand it as you read in the first chapter there uh total depravity uh in some and, and i like uh, uh johann volebius uh said uh, original sin consists not only of the loss of the good originally given, but also the addition of the corresponding evil. And I think it's absolutely essential to understanding this is that uh, whenever Adam and Eve fell, it was not the fact that they lost their original the, the original righteousness, uh, which again set them into an adversarial or an enemy relationship with God. Uh, and therein uh, enacted the consequences of the covenant of works, and that is uh, that is death. It's not just that, but it's even worse than that. As he says, it's the addition of corresponding evil, um, and, and that means that. Uh, and he he uses this uh, this analogy and this term throughout the chapter, uh, and this is where spiritual death, I think, tracks with physical death. Uh, physical death we think of in terms of uh, the cessation of uh, sustaining bodily functions, uh, uh, the heartbeat and the circulation of the blood. And then, of course, uh, the last part to die is the brain. 
uh, because it it because it it lacks uh, blood to sustain itself. Then after that, once the uh, once the normal biological processes of life is finished, uh, we're reminded. And Dan, this is I, I I quote this a lot. You do as well in terms of the story of Lazarus, four days in the grave, and uh, Jesus says, "Roll back the stone," and his sisters say. Oh, oh, master, that 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 thing gonna stink. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, it it, it stinketh. He stinketh. Yeah, King James uh, version. <laughs> King James says he stinketh. Uh, well, and that and and that's the analogy also he gives here uh, uh, of sin in terms of spiritual death. Uh, it tracks with physical death in the sense that it's not just the it, it's not just doesn't just track the cessation of the connection to spiritual life, which was by Adam and Eve lost in the garden. Uh, but it also, as Valevia says here, it actually is the addition of decay. Uh, so at that point, we do not remain and uh, we do not remain in a neutral position concerning God and concerning his requirements. Um, later in the chapter, he has, uh, uh he has very pointed critiques of, uh, both, uh, uh, um, uh, both Pelagianism um, and also, uh, by the way, of Arminianism as well, uh, in a different sense. Uh, and, and I think the, to me, the sharper, uh, the sharper one on this is on on Arminianism, uh, is that I think it tries to, it tries to hurdle the bridge of Pelagianism and saying, okay, you know, we can't, we can't just obey God anytime we want to. Uh, it's just a ma- it's not just a matter of a pick and choose or a matter of the event. Uh, there is a systemic separation from God, both in fact and in deed, uh, that keeps us from that. But the Arminian or James Arminius, he says, which is which is strange because he says the uh, the even though we have what we're identifying as the devastating effects of original sin. Uh, we, he says it also puts us in a neutral position of our will uh, r- related to God uh, so that the will is not really dead. And and will, uh, I like having two wills close back to back there. <laughs> uh, the will is not dead will, as you said. Uh, uh, indeed, it is, uh, it, it is a sign of the fact that um, that the universe universality of sin is in is indeed in in uh, uh, in death. Um, as uh, he says in the first chapter uh, paragraph on four hundred one, uh, sinners are not just without fellowship with God, but are alienated from the life of God. And again, that's what we're saying. Uh, alienated from the life of God means that the sustaining nurture uh, of life. Uh, in God, uh, we are alienated from that. So at that point, then in spiritual death, we do we are in a state of decay. Uh, so when he talks about the depravity of the heart, he is talking about that. He is talking about the fact that there is that remaining, not only that remaining element of sin there, but it's very important to understand that we are separated from the very one God and the very power the power of the risen Christ that will actually turn that around, that will actually give life. Indeed, it is, I think, one of the most frequent and one of the most powerful uh, uh, symbols that Christ gives of himself. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. 
He refers to himself as light uh, in terms as contrasted to darkness uh, in terms of the um, uh, in terms of the uh, response, in terms of the response of the heart and the, and the will to God. Um, he says in 4 and 1 again, under the depravity of the heart, the stronghold of reigning sin is the heart. And then he, he quotes uh, he quotes Boston there, uh, Thomas Boston. Mm-hmm. All their wicked practices are here traced to the fountain and spring hit. A corrupt heart was the source of all. The soul, which was made upright in all its faculties, is now wholly disordered. Uh, again, let me read that again. The soul, which was made upright in all its faculties, is now wholly disordered. Wow. Uh, the heart mm-hmm. that was made according to God's own heart is now the reverse of it. And I love this too, a forge of evil, a forge mm. in the sense of a blacksmith where he beats out, where he beats out the, the instrument. Uh, he says, basically, now our hearts are the instruments of evil. Mm. Uh, they play that tune and they can play no other so that every inward motion is only evil. And I think that's, I think that's what some people struggle with. Uh, that and I were talking Sunday, uh, Sunday night. Uh, about someone who is struggling with the doctrines of grace, uh, and, um, and and I, I think and Will, I think you joined that conversation as well. Uh, and I think a large part of this, and we're all agreed on this, is we really cannot make any progress on that on uh, sovereign grace until we understand uh, the absolute depravity and and. Uh, uh, of of the heart uh, and its and its inability, which we'll get to in a few minutes, and its inability to approach God of its own right. Not only uh, in the fact that, uh, as someone object to it, to say, uh, well, I mean, if God's going to judge us because we don't choose Him, then He must give us the ability to choose Him. Uh, well, again, as Beaky says, that's a uh, that's a, that's a false that's a false argument and a false consequence there. Uh, we lost that a long time ago. <laughs> in other words, we originally we originally had that, but as it says here, uh, that has gone that has gone away. Um, and again, I as I was reading through this and thinking about it, it again just reminded me uh, of the garden. Uh, Will, as as you covered in your area, it reminded me of the garden and of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was the only tree that was forbidden to them. Uh, why it was in the garden? It was. I think it was simply in the garden as a test, yeah. uh, because because of the fact that uh, that uh, that God that God is the only source of good, and so mm-hmm. uh, and so the only goodness that they required, uh, and day by day, moment by moment, in the close and intimate fellowship they had with God, the only good they required is that which actually came. From the Word of God it's, uh, Himself, uh, and, and and I think theologians say that probably uh, in terms of walking in the cool of the day and the anthropomorphic uh, terms we use of God's fellowship in the garden uh, is indeed probably referring to the Lord uh, to the to the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that, then uh, there uh, uh, it, it it reminds me in a way of. Uh, Jesus, as he came to earth as the second Adam, indeed, what was it? What was it he declared of himself, and what did he make as a as a constant practice? Uh, he would arise early, before everybody else did, and he would give himself to hours and hours of prayer, 
as he says, I only, I only see what the father shows me. I only do what the father's, what the father wills. And, and so that is to me, that is the, uh, that is the, uh, uh, that is the bridge to, uh, uh, to, uh back, back to Adam and, and, and undoing in the second Adam to undoing the ruin, uh, of the fall is the fact that in his own humanity, he showed us what original righteousness should look like in Adam and Eve is that they are constantly in a process of, uh, constantly in a process of here, of, of listening to the words of God to know that, uh, to know, uh, to have the, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, uh, was not only forbidden, but it was also, uh, what God knew it was well out, outside their ranges to, 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 to handle because mm-hmm. good comes from God. As, as Augustine says, uh, evil is simply the privation or the lack of good. Uh, and I think that is, and I think that's what uh, total depravity is. Uh, it's a lack of good. Every fiber and every choice and will and insight uh, an action uh, of of the unconverted person of the person that's outside of grace it is constantly tinged by that because uh, it, because uh, by federal headship of Adam uh, they have entered into that federal headship to where with Adam and Eve they said we desire the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, and do not and are completely alienated from the good. And that is from the revelation and the word of God in, in that sense. And so everything they do at that point then uh, is corrupted. Everything they do uh, is uh, is at enmity with God. Uh, there is not a single action that they can do uh, that even in its most, even in its best consequence uh, will, uh, will in that gain the favor of God because it is not it is not done by God mm. and, and by the wisdom and strength that he uh, he says on page 403 he says a wound to the soul might affect only part of its faculties but the spiritual uh, but the spiritual uh, death of the soul entirely disables its every function in regard to God and he wow. cites Romans 8 6 through 8 and he, he uh, and then he quotes my boy John Brown of Haddington love John Brown uh, it said, all the powers of the accursed soul are dead while it liveth. <laughs> In other words, it's walking, mm. the walking dead <laughs> to use that, <laughs> to use an analogy from, uh, and again, it is, it is very much, uh, it, you're dead while you live. Um, the eyes of the understanding are shut. And as it were glazed in a ghastly manner, the speech of cordial prayer and praise is laid down. The right pulse of affections toward God is stopped. Oh, I love that. The right pulse of affections towards God is stopped. The pulse of life uh, is stopped, which again, in human terms, means that you're dead. Well, it's, that's true there. Every spiritual sense is locked up and all within cold and stiff as stone. Uh, again, Boy, I, I'll I, tell you what, you can't say it. Like no, you can't say any better than that. You can't, you can't <laughs> say any better than that. I mean, and again, he draws the analogy there with physical death. And I think that's those uh, total depravity, uh, again, as we understand it, and it must be understood in the light of the previous chapter, the universality of sin, total depravity simply does not mean, and people stumble on this, it, it does not mean that we're as bad as we can possibly be. Um 
by God's restraining grace in a way that in a way that we don't understand, even in our own lives before we came to Christ. Uh, I, I think back in my own life, and I'm sure you do as well, of choices that as a lost person I was presented with, that if I had gone with it, that if I'd gone, if I'd inclined my heart to that particular evil, it would have changed the whole course of my life. Um, and and uh, not, that, uh, not that God could not save me out of that, but there is a hand of restraining grace on all of us. Uh, even, even, uh, and particularly those who are elect in Christ before they ever come to salvation, uh, in, in, uh, in ways that, in ways that we don't understand. Um, I need to move on through this. I know we're, we're running out of time. Uh, and, uh, oh, and then he has that, uh, and I won't go through it, but, um, uh, uh, uh Will, do you remember Robert Shuler? Were were you uh, old enough at the time when Shuler was hot to remember the Crystal Cathedral and all that? No, unfortunately, I don't. Remember. Okay, all right. Well, uh, uh, I know you, Mike. You, and I you are, really missed out. <laughs> yeah, no, well, Van, 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 Van is old enough to remember it too because it had its oh, heydays yeah. in the in the eighties and early nineties. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, he he saw the Reformation in terms of uh, in terms of positive thinking. Uh, he, he picked up the ins- he picked up the insights of Norman Vincent Peale uh, from Riverside Church in New York, and he tried to bring them with. And, and really, um, those that have visited Schuler's uh, Schuler's church say uh, he, he certainly comes out of a Reformed background. Van, if I recall right, he's actually Christian. He's actually Christian Reformed. Yeah, I believe uh, so. He, yeah, he was by by affiliation, and then he um, and a lot of the literature. I mean, uh, some of Sproul's people have said they visited, and he says they've got some good literature, not all of it, but some good literature out there. Uh, but this is where he draws the hook here, and he thinks this is the way. This is a new Reformation. In other words, if we're trying to recover a person uh, from death to life, uh, that death manifests itself and a negative consequence, once we come to a proper knowledge of uh, a positive knowledge of ourselves, uh, that is when God comes to us and embraces us and brings us to himself. And of course, um, uh, um, uh, our author here uh, disagrees with that in the most vigorous ways and and Mm -hmm. rightly so. Uh, But it it is a popular message. Uh, I mean, I don't know, Van. I, I think the old Crystal Cathedral uh, is long since passed. Uh, his his son tried to take it over and run it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I I'm not sure what's going on with it now. It'd be interesting to try to look that up. Yeah, I I should look it up myself. The best I could tell is is that it is that probably has been sold and repurposed or something like that. Anyway, coming to total inability, the dominion of sin. Uh, here again, as total depravity says that we're completely separated from God in spiritual death. There not only is an absence of life, but there is absolute corruption uh, that continues. Total inability talks about how do we make that bridge back from total from spiritual death, from the absence of life and total and total corruption. Uh, how do we uh, how do we get back to God? Uh, and uh, Bikion 406 describes it as the dominion of sin. Uh, and this is, as I mentioned earlier, this is where he um, uh, critiques uh, Pelagianism, and he also later critiques uh, Arminianism as well. And I, I won't, I won't uh, go, go back over that again. Um, 
uh, in uh, on 406 in, in the second paragraph, uh, this is kind of reiteration of what I said earlier. When Adam first sinned, he turned from listening to God's word to listening to Satan's lies. And that really is the knowledge of the tree mm-hmm. of good and evil. At that point, then, uh, it is a twisting and a perversion to the point uh, to where even the words of God are perverted to our own thoughts and our own minds. And basically, that's the reason he says that uh, when he describes total inability, uh, that is total inability. Um because uh, all of our faculties are dead toward God and we have no spiritual life um, and there is nothing good in us, uh, then it is going to require really a regeneration, a new birth uh, to bring us to the point to where uh, to, to the point to where we have eternal life. We have within us the life of God, which was the experience of Adam before he fell. And in that then, uh, uh, since that is a new birth, and, and the new birth, I think, is the key to it here, and Jesus himself says this as well, the new birth is not something we can control. As he told Nicodemus, he says, uh, he says the wind the wind blows where it wills. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at uh, the pine trees over in David and Sherry's yard, and uh, I can get a I can get a good read on uh, in terms of the shifting of the winds and things. Um, but, and from that, I can gain some knowledge about when, where the wind is coming from, but other than from the effects of that, I have no, I have no idea. So Jesus says it is with the, uh, uh, with the new birth, uh, it, uh, it leaves sinners converted. Uh, it leaves them changed. It, uh, um, uh, it imputes to them the righteousness of Christ. Uh, it, uh, begins the process of setting them apart from God and of sanctification and holiness. Uh, and so it leaves us then to ask the question from whence comes that comes that uh, refreshing and saving breeze. Uh, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, it comes from above. Uh, he says, uh, he says, you must be born again. And so it is when we talk about total inability, uh, he talks about Pelagius and he talks about Finney. Oh, Finney, desert, uh, well, again, Finney des- describes Finney is not only a mess. I mean, he is. Uh, talk about the effect, the disastrous effects of the ministry of Finney, and just look from the Middle Atlantic all the way up through New York and through New England. A lot of the deadness of the church there, churches there, is a legacy of the Second Awakening and the insidious and demonic work of, of Charles Finney. Right. And, you know, he, he had, had, he was Presbyterian, had a Presbyterian background. You know, it's very interesting, you know, whether you talk about Feeney or whether you go all the way back to Jacob Arminius, you know, him coming from a reformed background and then trying to change some of those aspects. But yeah, they kind of have that in common. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, man. It's amazing how many of these guys come out of a, come out of a theological heritage where they know better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and I I think to some degree uh, uh, that, uh, they, uh, that a lot of this is, uh, is just the search for relevance. And I think, I think that's the same. Uh, I think that's the same thing in terms of total inability. I think that that's the same thing we have today. I mean, we don't understand the, the total depravity of the heart. We don't understand the complete separation, uh, the complete nature of spiritual death to where there is no connecting there, there's no connecting back to, uh, to the the grace and the knowledge of God, other than through the Holy Spirit through the new birth, and, and and that's the connecting point. That is where life is given, 
and as the analogy of birth there is, uh, so we do not control our own birth. So it is also we do not control our our second birth, our hmm. our, our our being born again. Uh, and, and again, that helps us to put this idea of the total inability uh, in in context there. Uh, he says, uh, Bono 407, or in four and 408, and I won't go through them. Um, he talks about all the, he t- talks about all the, 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 uh, inabilities of total inability on 408 on down in the bullet points, uh, unable to speak what God counts as good. Uh, and then he quotes the, uh, uh, Matthew 12 and concerning the, uh, the Pharisees unable to listen to God's word with an open mind. In other words, trying to reach a, a position of neutrality, kind of like the Armenian does in the sense that uh, if I will just speak or if I'll just use the right methods, uh, then again, I can bend your will toward God. Uh, while again, paying lip service to the fact that it is that it is a work of God. Um, he, he says on uh, 409, the doctrine of total inability contradicts the teaching that unsaved men have the ability to choose God when assisted by his grace. Uh, and then he quotes Arminius here in the next couple of, uh, he says, Arminius wrote, herein consists the, the liberty of the will, that all things required to enable it to will anything being accomplished, it still remains indifferent to will or not. And again, that is kind of the heart of it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Arminius himself is, as Van, I think, as you said, uh, is also from a reform background as well. In other words, he is he is one of those that should know that yeah. and is trying to and is trying to uh, and, and uh, it lines up with the Molinists in terms of Luis de Molina. Okay, let me wrap this up. Um, he uh, he on four oh ten in the second paragraph he rags on Jonathan Edwards there I think unjustly uh, mm-hmm. when 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 uh, Edwards makes the distinction between natural ability and moral ability. Um, I, I think Weber is saying what we're saying here. Um, I think the point that Beaky makes is that uh, it's a less than helpful way of distinction because it leads to the natural bridge that those who do not, do not agree with us and believe that there is at best an indifference in the center's will. It kind of it kind of it kind of gives them uh, it kind of gives them some encouragement uh, in that. And of course, he acknowledges that 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 not at all what Edwards intended to communicate, but he says the seeds of that with are within it. And then at the bottom of 410, uh, last sentence, he says, we do better to teach total inability while also teaching that aspects of God's image remain in fallen human nature. And I think that's an important, important point that he makes here. And I want to reiterate that we do better to teach total inability while also teaching that aspects of God's image remain uh, in fallen human nature. And here is really where the greatest objections come to that. And if I well, look at all the good works of men, uh, even apart from God, even those you say that are not regenerate and are, uh, and are evil and corrupt by nature, look at the good that they do. And again, I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, we have people every day that are, uh, exercising charity, uh, charity in the hospitals by caring for the sick. Uh, self-sacrifice in terms of emergency services like law enforcement, uh, the fire fire department, uh, things like that. Uh, people that are simply like on Meals on Wheels. Uh, there are people that are engaged in Meals on Wheels in the local county here uh, who do a lot of good deeds but really are outside of Christ. 
We look mm-hmm. at those things, and, and 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 we have to we have to account for those things. And, and I think what Beaky is saying here is we account for those by God's image remaining in fallen human nature. In other words, uh, we have we have a a dim knowledge of that by the law's righteous requirements, either by the written canon and scripture, or as Paul says, by the law by the law uh, by the law of conscience. Uh, but yet within that, there is no law within us to connect with that. And so it goes, I think, back to the doctrine of the knowledge of good and evil again. Uh, we think we know good, but we don't. And we imitate good thinking that it is godly and thinking that it is influential when actually it's not. Um, and, and so I, I think that is, uh, that is the, the case here. Um, yeah, and then finally, I'll, I'll say this on page 412, last paragraph, he's, in the first sentence, he says, when Christians speak of total depravity and total inability, we do not speak on the level of common ethical behavior, but the holy standard of God's law. And again, uh, that, is where, that is where the judgment is made. Uh, Jesus says uh, uh, to the rich young Euler, ruler when he says good master what must i do to be saved he says why do you call me good and again there's that fundamental misunderstanding in terms of goodness he was looking of a goodness of works uh Mm -hmm. jesus was referring to him back to a goodness of heart uh a a new heart in which uh, as jeremiah and ezekiel say uh, says in which the law is written on the heart that's heart the heart is uh the heart is converted from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and it's a heart uh, that receives, in, as in Psalm 119, the the, the righteous uh, requirements and rules and uh, and precepts of God, and sees life in them rather than death. So I went a little long there. Sorry about that. Hmm. Thank any, you. Any, uh, any, yeah. Any any comments on that? Nope. All right. Well, I'll just kind of uh, tie up what what you said, Marvin. I love what Beaky says at the very end of the chapter when he says, let us who are saved by grace remember that we were once just as the lost are now, dead in sin, driven along by satanic lies and selfish ambition, damned under God's wrath and distant from the Savior and any hope of salvation. Let us pour out our fervent prayers for God to send them gospel preachers and open their eyes. And as much as God providentially allows us, according to our gifts and callings, let us speak the truth and love to them for God's word is God's means of giving life to the dead. Well, what a wonderful encouragement that is at the end of all of that, that you had just summed up for us, Marvin, and then your, your added supplemental discussion that you brought to the table, how we need to remember that and how we need to sort of not look down our holy nose at those who are still in this state of sin and they've not been freed by Christ. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, a debtor daily we're constrained to be. Amen. Amen. And uh, and that leads us to Mike talking about uh, talking about that will, talking about the concept of of uh, free will, and we want to look at that. And uh, and and I'm looking forward to this discussion, Mike. I, I especially love how uh, what Joel Beakey did is he. He basically took a page from Thomas Boston and uh, Thomas Boston written human nature in its fourfold state. And Beaky goes through that and he talks about the human will 
in those aspects. He's, he's going to talk about the state of innocence. You know, what is the human will like before the fall? And then the state of sin, what is the human will like in that state? And then the state of grace, having been saved, you know, what is the human will like in that state? And then all the way to the glorification of the believer. What is our human wills like even in that state? And so, Mike, I just want to toss it over to you, brother, and uh, and 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 help us with this concept. It's probably one of the uh, probably greatest misunderstood concepts in Reformed theology from others who are outside of it uh, in thinking that Reformed people don't believe in a will, don't believe in that that we actually choose. Uh, and then what are some other aspects about it? So, brother, lead us through this. Well, I'll start off, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll start off by saying uh, that one thing that he uh, stressed throughout the, this chapter, and, and it goes back in, I think, even in part of Marvin and Will's uh, discussion, but it, it's all about the, the, the heart, the heart of the individual, the, the soul, what, the, the innermost part of, the, uh, of each individual. Uh, is it good? Uh, is it reflecting Christ or uh, or is it uh, reflecting uh, the ruler of the world, Satan? So I, I'll start off by saying that. But he goes off, what I really like is he, he starts off by, he says, we need to talk about the terminology, the concept of free will. And let's define free will because there is misunderstanding, <clears throat> he said, throughout, uh, I guess, the circles. And uh, to me, this is very, you know, it was very enlightening. But uh, he, uh, he said, we need to look at the the uh, the word free will and what it means um, and so I'll go through and, and highlight those because I think if you understand uh, the what 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 free will the actual meaning uh, it will put the light and answer uh, questions on uh, I have free will to do this well no not 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 really but anyway he starts off by um, the Bible has various uh, words. Uh, and one is uh, to choose, to will or to desire. Uh, however, the New Testament, he says, does not speak of the human will. And when it does, it refers to a concrete choice, desire, act, or will, not an abstract uh, faculty of the soul. And then he goes in um, about uh, using the Bible to answer this, does not attribute the source of human decisions to an abstract will so much as to the heart. And there, there's, there's where he starts bringing in the heart. This is on the bottom of page 418, which is the center of human life, the seat of our thoughts, desires, intention, and the source of our words and deeds. So, um, uh, you know, we, we, we do have, uh, it goes back to what I think Marvin was saying, uh, we can do good. Uh, uh, unregenerate individuals can do good, but generally their focus is is on uh, the betterment of society or the uh, uh, the betterment of man or or for or for recognition. So it's not God centered. Um, um, so he, he moves on. It says people who act voluntarily do so out of willing heart. Sinners de- de- devise or plan evil in their hearts. It's a means to fabricate or to suggesting that the heart is like an industrial center that manufactures sin. So, you know, it's a heart issue. It goes back. Our heart is manufacturing sin until through the same grace of, of, of Christ, we, we are we are regenerated. Um, but um, then he goes on on, uh, on the meaning of the freedom, uh, how biblical writers use the term. And one root means to release from bondage or the obligation of servitude and another meaning means liberty. So I, and the sense released from slavery. So I, 
I, you know, I picked up on that. So uh, when we have free will and what that really means is that uh, through what, through what Christ did on the cross for us, we, we have been released from bondage. Uh, we have, we have liberty, uh, released from bondage. We have a liberty uh, that we are no longer uh, a slave to sin, but a, a slave to Christ. And I thought that was very, I, to me, that's a very important part in all of this, because if you look at the free will from that aspect, uh, we, we are, we are, we have been released from bondage. Uh, it's like in the year, I think he, he quotes in here, the year of Jubilee, but anyway, we're released from bondage. We have um, we have that liberty now to to, uh, to to serve to serve God and not evil. Um, and then uh, he mentions there is no explicit reference in the Old Testament to the freedom of will. And the the New Testament employs a, a Greek word group that can refer to the liberty from a legal obligation or slavery. So I mean I, I think all this is important when we start looking at free will. So when we speak of free will for someone who's been regenerated, um, it's we 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 are we're in our, our will, our heart is inclined and focused to make our decisions uh, uh, from a godly focus, a godly center. Uh, unlike before regeneration, our focus and our heart is is evil for desires, for for betterment, for uh, self. Uh, let's see. And then uh, there was the argument of, of he goes in at the early chapter, like um, some believe that uh, that uh, I, they have the freedom to to, to choose to to do good or to do good to to do good or to to uh, to do wrong. Well, no, um, that's that's um, I guess that he brings in a Pelagius. I'm not gonna be able to say it, but Pelagius. It's, yeah, that uh, denying original sin and, and that an individual has the power in their own in their own will to choose good or choose bad, uh, which which uh, is um, you know could leads in could, could leads into uh, could uh, could lead into fatalism or determinism. But anyway, um, the 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 term free will it gets back to the terminology and the heart the term free will uh, is not used in the Bible the ideal free will uh, however does have an important role in our and uh, he uh, he quotes uh, and there is always a will always within us a free will but it's not always good and then Sproul explained we have we have a good free will or an evil free will how can we speak of free will without contradicting the biblical view that unregenerated sinners are in bondage to sin and spiritual freedom in Christ consists of the ability to serve God with a willing heart so I think that's the the the, the root of it is where where we have liberty we have we've been released from bondage and so we have within our heart uh, the, the capacity to, to 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 serve God and make our decisions based on a, on God-centered uh, uh, honor and glory. Versus uh, those who are not regenerated, it's it's evil. It's based on 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 worldly worldly standards. Yeah, and I love uh, what R.C. Sproul used to say. He used to say we shouldn't talk about a free will. We should talk about a freed will. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And they, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me see. So let me get in. Now we're moving into the states of man, um, where he uh, talks. Um, 
um, about the uh, four states. Uh, and I guess out of all those of them I went through it, uh, I uh, see he talks about our, our um, the first state, uh, changeable uh, ability to choose God. Um, he begins with creation. He said the covenant with Adam presented either life or death to man contingent upon his obedience or disobedience. His will as one fact that he was righteous, so was disposed of. Uh, so he had, he, by its, uh, let's see, he had the ability to follow the creator's will. Uh, it was not a will of indifference, but a, but a good will. So, I mean, Adam was made perfect, created perfect. He was good, but he, he also had the ability to, 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 to sin. It was in his uh, makeup. When he was tested, he chose to, to follow, to, to be disobedient. And he says, Mike, would it be correct to say then that, that Adam was the only person who really had free will to choose to do righteousness or to sin? The only person to, At the, you know, only created being. I, I would think that in the very beginning, he was, he was perfect. He was, he was, he was good. He was perfect. And he, by being disobedient. So he, he had, he had the, the will to, to be able to choose evil. I think and he, when he was tested, he decided to, to be disobedient to God's command. So I, I, I would say very carefully and cautiously. Yes, <laughs> he did. Hold, hold on guys. Time out on the field. We can't think of one other person who had that. I, I was mentioning Christ. Uh, one more. What? There you go, bingo, <laughs> Eve. <laughs> so, but it's, is it, this is the thing that I, I've been struggling with in this reading is that the concept, just in general, I've been struggling with the concept of God's sovereignty and man's free will, uh, where Adam and Eve seem to have the free will to choose independent of of what God's will was because it seemed like God's will was to for them to be in the garden and to be with him and to walk with him and they chose they rejected that and so it seemed like they were the only ones that had the freedom to choose to uh obey God or to reject God but I'm it's not clear to me so that's why I was asking yeah yeah I um when I think about that in the garden, I, and I, I've always, uh, I've asked Marvin and, and Ben this same question is, uh, you know, you know, why, why was the serpent in the garden? You know, why was, uh, but to me, it goes back to that covenantal uh, uh, position that Adam had uh, uh, is the, the federal uh, head, the representative of all, of all people that he represented. And uh, he, he, um, you know, so so goes the king, or so goes so goes the king, so go the people that that uh, follow, and uh, so he he chose to um, to be disobedient. I mean, uh, he he could have he was there, he could have stopped it. Yeah, uh, Mike, I I think it's a good question you ask from where from, from whence comes the serpent. Yeah, uh, and and the yeah. ser and the serpent is the one who who sent first. Um, right. That that he that he that, that he and a third of the angels rebelled against against God and the place of dominion that they had, which is a spiritual dominion. 
which we still see reflected in the spiritual warfare today. Uh, but again, the difference there uh, is that uh, he is that he he had he had no no uh, hope of or no means of redemption. That's what uh, that's what differentiated him from from the humans. Um, and I think uh, uh, Van, I, I think our, our 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 friend Doug Van Doren did a, a wonderful thing on this on uh, on the podcast a while back that I was listening to on vacation when he talked about the um, uh, the destructive tendencies of the of, of Satan in terms of uh, in, in terms of trying to being uh, uh, envious of the dominion of of the men over the over the earth uh, and then uh, it being envious to the extent of trying to destroy that. Yeah, yeah. But I think, Will, to answer to your question, uh, I think I think you're right. I think it's yes. Uh, uh, did Adam have the ability to obey God with his will? Absolutely. It was a probationary period. Uh, it is uh, classic reform theology has um, basically assumed that should Adam have obeyed, it would have uh, he would have been glorified, and that would have went to his posterity as well. Him being the federal head, and so yeah, he had that ability. He could have obeyed, or he, as Mike said, or not obeyed. And of course, we know the choice he made, and because of the choice he made, now you know his posterity suffers that that fall. And so yeah, I, I believe you're right on that, Will. Yeah, and with thing- regards to the serpent in the garden, I think the only thing I can come back to is. It's actually in um, the wonderful works of God. Herman Baving said that the Bible is all that God has chosen to reveal himself to us, but it's not all that there is to know about God. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. So <clears throat> there are things that are mysteries to us about why God did what he did, why, why God allowed the serpent in the garden. We don't know. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't tell us. Um. But we just we can still glean all that we need to know about God because God has revealed himself to us in his word. And what we read is that God is good and that he is sovereign and that he is powerful and that he is faithful. And so for some reason, God allowed the servant in the garden, but ultimately worked out for his glory and our good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I one, one thing that helps me <clears throat> when we talk about this particular issue that we're talking about is why um and it goes back to that and i think it was in one of our discussions of disciple group but when uh, you have a federal head uh, a federal head say he leaves it to his son it's going to be in line uh of, of, of the, the, to re- replace him when he, he ceases to be it's you know you got you want to prepare the your 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 follow-on your heir to to assume so you're going to test your heir to improve him so it, it was a, it was a test. Uh, I think uh, I think Marvin mentioned, or maybe you did, Will. It was a test of uh, of Adam. He was going to be tested uh, either through the, the tree or, or or through Satan. I mean, and we see in the Bible it tells us that uh, Satan deceived. Uh, you know, he he fell for Satan. Yeah, and let, let me say this while you're there, because I wanted to say this whenever Marvin was kicking around this this area of the first Adam and the second Adam. When you talk about the test. Just think about how Adam was tested and think about how Christ was tested. Adam has one positive law to obey, and that is don't eat of this tree, which, by the way, 
this garden is full of other trees right. that are luscious and beautiful and this and that. So it's not like you're really, really taking a huge hit if you don't eat of this tree that Eve says is is good for food, it's beautiful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you think about Christ, and here's his, his life. He's born under the law, as Scripture says. Uh, all the positive laws that were given in the under the Mosaic Covenant, he's born under that. He's keeping righteousness. And on top of that, the way he was tempted was not Satan coming to him with one single temptation about a tree. I mean, he goes out into the wilderness, and we're given three representative temptations he's given but those are just simply representatives. It wasn't that he's out there for 40 days and he's only tempted three times. I'm absolutely positive that all hell unleashed every big gun they had on him to try to get him to sin. And yet he remained sinless. And so when you think about those two, you just think about the difference there, you know, uh, Christ being our our head and then Adam being our covenant head and Adam leads us into sin and then Christ <sighs> earns righteousness in which he can impute to us. So just an amazing thing to think about. Yeah. So uh, you were talking about Pelagianism and, and Arminianism. Have you gotten Arminianism yet? Uh, that was, that was in the last one. Oh, I don't know. Mike, Mike probably deals with no. his as well. What's the difference between Pelagianism and Arminianism? Um, I would say pure Pelagianism is indeed not even Christian. And I think Augustine says that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, uh, pure Pelagianism just simply says that, uh, that, uh, original sin didn't affect the will at all, yeah. uh, that, that we have the ability to choose God anytime, anytime, anywhere we want to. The only thing that prevents us is just, is just, we don't want to. Uh, and he would say in that sense, our will, Arminianism would, be if we were and Van, see see what you think of this if we were to classify it in relationship to uh, Pelagianism we would say at the best it's probably semi-Pelagian uh, yeah in the yeah. sense okay. in, in, yeah in, in the mean. yeah in the sense that it doesn't go all in other words you have to have divine assistance uh, in order to choose the right and in order yeah. uh, as they would say to choose Christ uh, what Arminius is just simply saying is that. Uh, is that the mechanism for that uh, within us, the the remaining image in, of the uh, uh, of God in us, uh, leaves a handle, so to speak. In other words, there's this neutral area within us uh, that, if we're willing to do it, God is willing then to assist us in that. And He does, uh, he, he does say, He does emphasize the necessity of the new birth, and that's a big difference from Pelagius in that regard. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, Marvin hit it right on the head. Pelagianism basically says you need no grace for salvation. And Armenianism would say, well, you, you do need grace for salvation, but those first steps of grace are, are taken by God and you do the rest. It comes down to, to your choice. Uh, you, you still have this island of righteousness that's there by which you can you know, choose God. And, and God has done that. Christ has done everything. God has given you that island of righteousness. So by his assistance, like Marvin said, uh, his gracious assistance, you can then make these choices and do these things. And so uh, it, it would be different from what we would say, where you need a whole new, you need regeneration, you know, you need a whole new uh, renewing of the, of the heart to be able to do this. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you. What kind of sums it up? <clears throat> what we're talking about 
<clears throat> about the ability. It's um, uh, he, he at top of 425. However, God's uh, prohibition and man's fall show that man was not so confirmed in righteousness that he was unable to sin. Augustine said the first freedom of the will which man received when he was created upright consisted in, in an in, an ability not to sin, but also an ability to sin. Strictly, <clears throat> excuse me, strict, strictly speaking, an ability to sin is not power, but a limitation of power. True power in the inner man consists of self-control, the strength to repulse temptation like a city with walls. Man has the power to do right, but has but his power was not infinite or immutable. It could be abused and lost. Yeah, and I th I think that there again is the application of the, of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. I think he summarizes that very well. There is because uh, God said, "Don't you're not really you're not you're not ready for that. Yeah, you're yeah. not you're you're not made for that." Uh, that's that's the divine realm. I mean, in terms of you're meant to know good, you're not meant to know evil. And so, at that sense, then I think he, that's a very uh, that's a very good that's a very good statement of that in terms of just um, uh, being able, really, at that point, uh, what we think is good or what comes down to the to the uh, to the mind and conscience. And by the way, in my chapter again, he says uh, that the conscience is absolutely corrupted. Uh, the, 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 the remnant of the image of God within yeah. us that should guide us and uh, should uh, uh, inform our minds as to good and evil and our will should follow it. He says, uh, we're absolutely and completely self-deceived on that. And I think that's the point there is what, what we, uh, what's that famous line of Ronald Reagan? He says, uh, of, of political liberals, he says, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not, uh, uh, it, verify, that, yeah, like that, that, and it's not just a matter of the fact that uh, uh, that uh, that our our opponents are wrong. He says uh, they just don't even know the right questions, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of what Beaky is saying as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, I'll summarize these these uh, the other three points. But then you have he has after the fall, and he so um, with Adam's fall, it it removed man from his original state. And plunged him into a state of sin and misery. He, you know, man had was not had, was in. Uh, they had the inability to choose God, and he, he went on to say, "Man is corrupted by sin, so that he's unable to seek God or please Him apart for saving grace." Uh, the unrenewed human will is enslaved to the to evil and disabled from turning to God or any true spiritual good. Calvin said, "We are all sinners by nature; therefore, we are held under the yoke of sin. Nothing but an infinite power can conquer it." Uh, none but the almighty arm of God can restrain it. For this reason, when God saw man's powerlessness under sin, the Lord came himself to save those without strength. Um, uh, however, man in the state of sin still has a will, and it retains a shadow of its formal liberty. Um, the, script, the scripture tells us that m wicked men make choices in all kinds of earthly manners. This is kind of what I, I was referring to earlier. They, they can choose who they will marry, they, uh, uh, what they what preacher they want to hear, and which man will rule them as kings uh, of their own will. People file lawsuits, seek loans. Military commanders choose how to distribute their troops in various places. Um he said, in all such matters, they have a, a liberty of will. Uh, and he said, the, the wicked also freely choose wickedness. Sinners choose to do what what um, what God hates. So um, again, it's it's 
to me, it, it's all speaking of all this is from the heart. So if, if the if the heart if the heart is stone and, and dark, then from the heart comes darkness. If the stone is light and righteousness, then from the heart comes good. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, then he moves into the to the, the third state, renewed but imperfect ability to choose God. Um, uh, here, the spirit of the Lord is is there. There again, liberty, uh, 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 freedom from bondage. Um, conversion is the transition from slavery to freedom. You have freedom under a new master. So uh, we're we're released from bondage. Gets back to that those definitions at the beginning of the chapter. I think, which really for me helped clarify when we're talking about free will. We're released from bondage. We have liberty. We're no longer bound to sin, but to 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 a uh, to to a new master, Christ. Um, he said, "No longer is sin engraved on the heart." with a pen of iron while God's law testifies against it on tablets of stone. Now God's word is written on the tablets of the heart with indelible ink of the Holy Spirit. An honest and good heart that receives God's word and bears fruit with perseverance. So that's, that's what the sinner is given with his new heart. And that's out of Ezekiel. Yeah. Regeneration. Uh, is not a new choice of the will, but a new creation of the heart. I mean, it goes back again. He, he, it, to, it's the heart. What, what is the condition of the heart? What is the state of the heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he lists, uh, he lists seven uh, practical applications. Um, some practical applications drawn from Isaiah 55 um, that uh, God's evangelist called based upon the redeeming work of Christ and the the church is fruitful you and offer Christ its sufficient savior for sinners, point sinners to the faithfulness of God and covenant through Christ, rely on God to gather sinners to the glorified prophet and king, uh, call sinners as responsible moral agents to turn to God in righteousness, submit to God's word in those matters that you do not understand, have confidence in God's word as a sovereign instrument in new life, and then hope in the freedom and eternal glory of Christ. We must believe with all our hearts that Christ sets people free and will give them eternal happiness that, that will fill the new heaven and the new earth. Then we will know if, uh, free will indeed for the glory of God alone. So again, I guess, I'm, again, uh, summarizing real quick, the definitions, it's, it's a, a liberty, a freedom from bondage from sin. It's a regeneration, uh, a rebirth of our, so to speak, of our heart from uh, darkness to lightness to righteousness, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, so that's kind of the chapter on the choice of uh, free will. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you so much for that. And uh, praise the Lord for the work that He does in the heart. As as uh, Will started us off, and Marvin, you know, can turn continue the discussion. Uh, what sin does to us is so debilitating it is so even apart from just where we stand positionally before god under condemnation just what it does to us personally and how we live out our daily lives and how thankfully by god's common grace we can choose to do some good things but we could never do anything that would be pleasing to god unless god takes the initiative to save us and to like you said so wonderfully mike to free our wills to liberate our wills so that we can be obedient to him. 
Well, brothers, I thank you so much for this time that we've had this morning. I'm looking forward to uh, our other conversations we're going to have as we continue to move forward in these things. And uh, it's been encouraging to me. Any last things uh, any of you might want to add? No, it was a good section. Very helpful. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Will, could I get you just to close this in, in prayer this morning? Sure. Thank you. Father, thank you for this time together studying uh, the doctrine of sin and, and understanding our sinful state before Christ chose to redeem us. God, I praise you, Lord, that you have sought fit to redeem a people even though we didn't deserve it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the full depth of our sins so that we can understand the full depth of Christ's grace and mercy through to us god and i just praise you lord for all the things you've chosen to do in our lives uh, and every grace and mercy that you've given us that we don't deserve god i pray that as we leave from here that you would help us to uh, love you more every day and love each other in jesus name amen amen